the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a CEO who did something fascinating for his employees. We're going to distinguish between happiness and joy. And what were the top 10 Christian songs on Spotify this past year? All of that coming up next here on The Common Good. Welcome to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really excited to have you joining us today. Uh, you can always find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You might have tuned in today going, I finally get my fix of Ian Simpkins. Finally get Ian back. Oh, contraire. That is not the case. One more day without Ian. He will be back tomorrow. And uh, John, I would say we are excited for that. Oh, yeah. We can we can use the, the other guy. This is the he's, longest he's been gone since having his baby, when, uh, since his wife had their baby, when uh, that was like the second or third week that our show existed. Which, yeah, did, uh, he, did he do it remotely a little bit, too? A couple times, but rarely. Times. You know. okay, okay. And uh, yeah, so Ian is, uh, is going to be back uh, in the chair tomorrow and uh, excited to have the team back together. He's going to be coming in looking smarter. Patched, patched elbows and everything. Rested and smarter and all of that. So that is what we're hoping. But we've enjoyed this uh, last couple, last week, week and a half. Had lots of great guests last week, and we would love for you to go listen to those interviews. You can do that at 1160hope.com and also on our podcast. Uh, but today, uh, just going to cover some stuff that we found interesting in the news. You heard that other voice is our producer, John. On the other side of the glass, or more accurately, the other side of two panes of glass and a hallway. and uh, But he is ready to be here. I feel so far away. <laughs> you are in quarantine over there. And uh, yeah, it all works out better that way. So uh, we touched on this article a long time ago uh, when it first started. But now there is some looking back on it. And I picked this up at a relevant magazine. It says this, the title is this, why one Christian CEO made $70,000 his company's minimum wage. And so you might remember this from when he was first launching this, but now they're looking back and going, what have they found has happened in their organization? And I find it really interesting. Dan Price, he's the CEO of Gravity Payments, a credit payment company. He found it as a teenager that made him a millionaire. Let's just think about that for a second. Uh, he'd done well. Uh, he owned a gorgeous house that overlooked Puget Sound. He's been presented with the National Young Entrepreneur of the Year by then-President Barack Obama. But five years ago, he had a revelation while talking to some of his employees when he realized that his personal success hadn't translated to them at all. The cost of living in Seattle was and remains high, and even employees making $40,000 a year were struggling to make ends meet for their families. Price was struck by the inequity of the situation and realized that he could do something about it. Price is a Christian and tells the BBC that he's deeply concerned by the way greed governs American society. The top 1% of Americans have more money than the bottom 50%. 
He said, we're glorifying greed all the time as a society in our culture, he told them. And, you know, the Forbes list is the worst example. Bill Gates has passed Jeff Bezos as the richest man. Who cares? Dan Price said. Price decided to be the change he wanted to see in the world. What a great line that is right there, to be the change he wanted to see in the world. He took a huge pay cut, gave up his stock, mortgaged two of his houses, and made an announcement to his employees. From now on, $70,000 would be the minimum wage of any gravity payment employee. Price arrived at the number because he read a Princeton study that found that was the optimum salary for happiness. That was five years ago. And since then, what's happened at Gravity Payments? Well, Gravity Payments has prospered. It's twice as big. His business has tripled. And most importantly, according to Price, his employees can afford to start families of their own. Before the shift, one or two babies was born every year among the team. In the five years since, there has been 40. There was a little bit of concern amongst pontificators out there that people would squander any gains that they would have, Price said. At the time, Rush Limbaugh told his radio listeners that I hope this company is a case study in MBA programs on how socialism does not work because it's going to fail. But Price said at least just in his company, he's seen the opposite. And Price said he'd hope the example and its success would lead to broader, more more systemic change among how Americans think about money and minimum wage. And he says he's disappointed that the wealth gap has only grown since then. But he has seen personal benefits in the gratitude of his employees who banded together to buy him a new Tesla after he spent years driving around in an old Audi. In the same age as Mark Zuckerberg and I have dark moments. Wait, I'm the same age as Mark Zuckerberg and I have dark moments where I think, I want to be just as rich as Mark Zuckerberg, and I want to compete with him on the Forbes list, and I want to be on the cover of Time magazine making lots of money. All these greedy things are tempting, uh, Price admits. But then he concludes by saying, but my life is so much better. So, so many uh, things to talk about from this article. Uh, The first being this. This was a really gutsy move. If you remember five years ago, this was all over Uh, the internet and people going, man, this is, I don't know, is this the way of the future or is this guy a moron? And and he's actually seen great results within his business. He has actually seen, as the article said, uh, his business has tripled in size. People are, are happier. His employees are staying longer. They're having families. This optimum $70,000 number, which it's true. Sociologists will tell you from many studies is the optimum number for happiness. Uh, that that it's made a difference in his culture and that it's made a difference in his own life and the the gratitude that people within his company are showing. Uh, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know how this translates to us as an entire government, as a culture. But I do know that this is interesting without within, I should say, uh, one particular business. And I love that line that we highlighted earlier. Price said he decided to be the change he wanted to see in the world. We all complain about a lot of things, uh, but we could take uh, some challenge from that exact line. Be the change you want to see in the world. We're going to do an article just uh, literally in the next segment that came out and was kind of uh, flying around Facebook this weekend that said uh, it's becoming almost impossible for one income families of normal income uh, to raise a family in our culture. And I think that's something we need to wrestle with. Uh, we're going to try to give some tips from an article uh, in our next segment. But um, 
what do we do with the fact that multiple people, a lot of people in our culture are having to work multiple jobs, whereas in past generations, we used to be able to raise families on one income, another spouse stays home, and that used to work. That's not working anymore. And so Price said, I want to be the change that I want to see in the world, and so I'm going to pay all my employees I think what he's considering a wage that leads to the ability to live and the ability to be happy and joyful. And I'm just curious what you're thinking out there. Uh, If you were in his shoes, uh, would you take a step like that? If you were a millionaire in your teenage years, it says, and you had the ability to kind of build companies that would rival some of the money that the people on the Forbes list are making, would that be your priority to, or to amass your own personal wealth? Or are you intrigued by what he's done and intrigued, I should say, to the point of going, you know what, I'm actually willing to do that. What would happen if more companies did this? I don't even know. I'm not an economist uh, or a sociologist. I don't know if this would be good for the economy. I don't know if this would be good for business or if his is an anomaly. But it's certainly worth re- uh, wrestling with and thinking about. And the last point I would make is uh, Jesus had a lot of things to say about generosity. Jesus had a lot of things to say about greed. And Jesus had a lot of things to say about contentment. And I think that when we read articles like this, it, w- it does at the very least need to cause us to look in the mirror and go, uh, what role does money play in my life? Where do I get my happiness and my joy? Where do I get contentment? And I think Dan Price, what he's done, uh, being the change he wants to see in the world, uh, I think it at the very least challenges us and causes us to have conversations. Coming up next, we're going to continue this same conversation, a website called parents.com. Uh, talks about t- uh, six tips for living on one income. Six tips for living on one income. That's what we're going to discuss next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Really happy to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. You can continue the conversation with us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, online 1160hope.com and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Ian Simpkins will be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll have the team back together. Uh, let me tell you something exciting at AM 1160. AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March the 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. In fact, tickets are going to start at just $25 and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That is 1160hope.com. All right, John, something that has nothing to do with anything we're about to talk about. But did you see at Penn State University yesterday, they held a candlelight vigil in which there are a lot of students. Mm. They held a candlelight vigil because their local Taco Bell was cl- was closing down. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my brother-in-law used to teach at Penn State. They both live out there. Uh, State College, I've been there. And <laughs> I, I, I almost guarantee you he was a part of that. They That's are, something he would do. It literally looks like a, a, any candlelight vigil you would normally see. Uh but uh, they are standing. <laughs> so out of context, you're looking like, oh, they're honoring 
uh, a longtime friend there are, or a there are flowers. staple of the community. There are flowers. There are candlelights. I'm reading it off the Twitter account of Barstool Sports, and it says, some things are bigger than sports. <laughs> this other guy commented, I didn't go to college, but from now on, I'm referring to Penn State as my alma mater. Yeah. <laughs> Respect. R.I.P. the local Taco Bell and State College. Here's the question. Why would you ever close a Taco Bell next to a college? Uh, it's, it's kind of a dumb move. When, unless- I, when I was in college, we lived off Taco Bell. That was uh, any kind of cheap food like that, man. Yeah. Anyway. I always say, I always say, oh, I'm not a fan of Taco Bell, but I still find myself going to it's Taco good. Bell. It's good. I never go there, but it's good. And so anyway, yeah, this Crunch story. Crunchwrap Supreme, man. This store, I just get the old school, just hard shell tacos. Okay. That's it's, it. It's respectful. With, uh, respectful. with the great F meat and some cheese and the sauce, <laughs> and we are good yeah. to go. How many and letters so, of the alphabet? 20, 26, 27? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of the 20s. It's in the 20s. I actually once read a study, this will blow your mind, that Taco Bell uses better meat than most fast food uh, companies, including the big ones that you know of. Oh, I believe it. And yeah. so uh, they, I think they get a bum rap. But anyway, apropos of nothing, a candlelight vigil at the Taco Bell in State College, Pennsylvania, uh, is, is uh, funny. Well, last segment, we talked about... An article going around about how uh, it's really difficult to live on one income right now where one of the spouses, uh, husband or wife, works while the other one stays home with the family. Uh, And it says this, parents.com is going to try to give six tips for living on one income. There's more than six, but I just found this interesting because you might agree with some of these. You might disagree, but this is kind of budgeting 101. But let me uh, read how this starts. Whether by layoff or by lifestyle choice, more and more families are facing the prospect of life on one income. Just the idea can be daunting, since most of us have been schooled to believe that two incomes are nearly a necessity for life in many American communities. But with proper planning and the right outlook, you can take the transition to a one-income status. Author uh, Denise Topolnicki, author of How to Raise a Family on Less Than Two Incomes, writes... Living on less than two incomes requires sacrifice. If you manage your money well, however, you never feel deprived of the things that matter most to you and your loved ones, she writes. So here are six steps you can take to adjust your family to life on one income. I'd be curious if you agree with these. Number one, cut your grocery bill. No, don't go on a starvation diet. Instead, cut out convenient foods such as pre-cooked dinners and packaged snacks. They're priced to provide maximum profit for your grocer. Also, clip coupons. Avoid coupons that encourage you to buy new or packaged items that you might otherwise avoid, but seek out those that save you money on your staples. Uh, This cut your grocery bill and coupons is an enormous one. Uh, Number two, consolidate to one credit card with a low interest rate. A wallet full of cards just encourages you to spend, and many cards now offer very low interest rates. But be sure to read the fine print. Some low-interest deals are just low-introductory offers. So do your homework and consolidate to one credit card with as low an interest rate as possible. Number three, barter with other families. One of the easiest things to barter is babysitting time. Connect with other families trying to cut back and trade babysitting services. You cut your child care costs and you can still get out of the house once in a while. I've heard people doing this where they, on a Friday night, one couple would go out and leave their kids with someone else. And on the Saturday night, they would reverse and they would do the same. Uh, they would take the other people's kids and uh, do it for free. 
so that people could get out. Barter with other families. Number four, this is a tough one. Pull the plug on cable. Anything worth watching will turn up on video three months later. Uh, some of us who are huge sports fans, this is where it gets really difficult. The uh, the pulling the plug. This is one of my uh, where, where I've kept uh, <laughs> I've stayed plugged in with DirecTV because well, I need. It, it, there are there like are the options. marquee, and I'll say this for marquee, they are they made a deal with Hulu, although there have been issues like the 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 uh, their Hulu TV. I yep, think yep, is what yep. they call it. Forty bucks a month. I had Sling, and I paid thirty a month. I had all the NBC Sports Chicago's. I had all the Fox Sports yep. at one and two, and I think I had ESPNU and some ESPN for thirty bucks a month, and it was live. Yep, like I had, yep, yep. I had a stream and a, the, the updates. It was it was not delayed one bit. Okay, as long as you had good Wi-Fi. But now you're off it. I'm off it because I don't need it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm in a, a market where there's a lot of stuff on the local channels. Yeah. But when I was in Macomb. You're in like market 200 out of 270, you know, trying to f- figure scrounge. out how to get things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, there, you're in no, mar- no sports market whatsoever. You're like two, three hours from St. Louis. That's the closest sports market. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. For me, the struggle is, as I've told you, I'm a New York sports fan. So I, right. one of my indulgences is the MLB ticket and the NFL package. So I can right, watch right. My, my Jets. And my, my, my Jets. I hate the Jets. So I, <laughs> I, I just combined Giants and Mets. So I can watch the Mets. a long day. <laughs> I can watch the Mets and the Giants. Well, anyway, number five, don't move. While it may be tempting to pull up stakes and move to a cheaper community, the financial cost and emotional burden to moving often makes this idea more trouble than it's worth. Instead, look for ways to reduce your current housing costs, such as refinancing your mortgage or reducing your home-related taxes. Number six, save up cash to make any big purchases. The whole cash deal, this is where you can start to make a difference. This achieves two goals. One, It forces you uh, to consider over a lengthy period of time how badly you really want a new sofa, computer, car, stereo, etc. Second, by saving cash for your purchase, you avoid racking up credit card bill and owing interest. While these steps will help, perhaps the most important part of life on less than two incomes is the support of your spouse. You both need to be committed to making the new financial arrangement work. If one spouse is working to contain costs, the other one needs to be careful to do so as well. Uh, so I thought that was an a interesting article, considering what we talked about last segment. And really what it ends up coming down to is if you're committed to having one spouse stay home, you just need to make the sacrifices. And that needs to be the priority over the what can you purchase and what do you have to give up? Because uh, it does come with sacrifice so we didn't, we would love to know your feedback at, at the uh, common good radio show on facebook that is the common good radio show coming up next randy alcorn wrote an article trying to distinguish between happiness and joy we're going to talk about that next year on the common good am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to the Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Thankful for you joining us today on this Tuesday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter, uh, at Common Good Talk. Find us online at 1160hope.com. As for our podcast, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we are grateful to all of you who do listen by podcast and uh, always amazed by those that we hear from. So go ahead and do that if you're not a podcaster. It's a great way to be able to listen to old shows or just listen to our show when it is most convenient. So go ahead and uh, do that.
Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a blog post this past week uh, that I would like to uh, highlight some of it. Uh, and it's really interesting because Alcorn is going to talk about the age old debate about are Christians meant to be happy. And so he says four reasons Christians distinguish between happiness and joy. And I'm going to start by saying uh, Randy Alcorn wrote kind of like the book on heaven, also wrote a great book uh, called Money, Possessions and Eternity. Uh, here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, he wrote a new book entitled Happiness. And so I want you to listen to kind of his premise on this, because you may disagree with this uh, or you might agree. And uh, either way, we would love for you to kind of engage in it and have a thought about what is the difference between happiness and joy. So Alcorn begins, when I was writing my book, Happiness, I knew that the chapter on what's the difference between happiness and joy would likely prove to be one of the most controversial. To verify my assertion that happiness and joy are synonyms, I cited more than 100 verses in various translations that use joy and happiness together, as well as numerous quotes from trusted Christian pastors, writers, and thinkers who use the two synonymously. Still, the idea that the two words are synonyms can be radical to many readers. In response to a post I shared about happiness, a sincerely concerned person wrote to me, Joy, peace, and contentment do not equal happiness. To some, the difference between the two words is as central as believing in the deity of Christ or the resurrection. In talking to believers and researching the two words, I think there are at least four reasons why Christians see a need to distinguish between happiness and joy. And so that's what Alcorn's doing in this blog post. He has said his premise is that happiness and joy are synonyms. I have taught differently, and that's why I find this article challenging, but he's not going to give now four reasons why he thinks he's right. He's actually going to give four reasons why most Christians see a need to distinguish between happiness and joy, why people separate the two. So number one, many believers have been frequently taught through books and sermons or have taught others that happiness and joy are completely different things. He says a pastor friend wrote to tell me why it would be a big mistake to write a book about happiness. He says happiness changes from moment to moment and is reflected by our moods and emotions. Joy is a spiritual peace and contentment that only comes from God and is even is strong even during times of sadness. God's desire is not to make us happy in this life, but to fill our lives with joy as a result of our relationship with Christ. Alcorn goes on to say the following is typical of the artificial distinctions made by most Christians. Uh, judging from such articles, you'd think the distinction between joy and happiness is biblical. It's not. But when something like this is repeated often enough, and it has been over the last half of the 20th century until now, it's easy to see how it becomes widely accepted truth. Yet there's a long, rich history of equating joy with happiness in Christ, as shown by writings from the Puritans, Wesley, Spurgeon, and many others. Just one example uh, from the words of Charles Spurgeon, may you so come and then may your Christian life be fraught with happiness and overflowing with joy. So that's number one. Number two, many Christians believe it's important to use words to clearly differentiate between the Christian's experience of godly happiness, specifically called joy, and the world's false happiness. Oswald Chambers, who Alcorn says I love, was the first I found to speak critically about happiness and make it opposed to joy. Chambers wrote in his book, Biblical Ethics, happiness is no standard for men and women because happiness depends on being determinedly ignorant of God and his demands. 
Unfortunately, because Bible teachers such as Chambers saw people trying to find happiness in sin, they concluded that pursuing happiness was sinful in and of itself. It's true that as sinful people, we chronically seek happiness in sin, but the core problem isn't seeking happiness, but choosing sin instead of God. As Christians, we don't know that when scripture speaks of peace, hope, justice, and love, it routinely attaches deeper and more Christ-centered meanings to these words. Uh, Happy isn't the only word with baggage. Love is commonly used in superficial ways. People say they love hamburgers, hairstyles, and YouTube. Of course, uh, instead, we should clarify what Scripture means by love, holiness, hope, peace, pleasure, and yes, happiness. Someone can have Christ-centered happiness or Christ-denying happiness. The former will last forever. The latter will have exceedingly short self-life. Number three, other Christians don't want to accept that we should experience happiness that touches our hearts and emotions, perhaps because they don't feel happy and they don't want to be told it's because God desires. Uh, be, be, they don't want to be told it's what God desires for us. Uh, what's our problem with happiness? Alcorn says, does it stem from an anti-world uh, Christoplatonism? Uh, are we suspicious that someone who's happy must be sinning? Is it because we think we're talking about we're taking the spiritual high ground? Do we feel that we are above this happiness nonsense? But since we all want to experience heartfelt happiness and delight, we must call it something else. Perhaps we marginalize happiness because something inside us testifies that we who were snatched from the jaws of hell's eternal delights, uh, who are indwelt and empowered by a happy God should be happier than we are. Maybe by defining joy as unemotional, positional or transcendental, we can justify our own unhappiness in spite of God's command to rejoice in him always. And number four, uh, Alcorn says Satan has vested interest in keeping us from embracing what scripture teaches about God's happiness and ours by convincing us that we can achieve a joy that's stripped of all happy emotion and warmth. He blinds us to the truth about the God honoring happiness. God Christ intends for us. Uh, Alcorn writes the prophet Isaiah said of a human King who appears to also represent the devil How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. Jesus was actually there when this event happened. He told his disciples, I saw heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The devil was, has been unhappy ever since he rebelled. Satan forfeited his own happiness and he bitterly hates us. The objects of God's love. His lie from the beginning was that God doesn't care about our good. The truth is God wants us to seek real happiness in him. Satan hates God. He hates us and he hates happiness. God's and ours. He's not about happiness. He's about sin and misery, which come from seeking happiness where it can't be found. God is the one who planted our desire for happiness and joy. So what difference does it make whether we see happiness and joy as synonyms, Alcorn writes? To declare joy sacred and happiness secular closes the door to dialogue with unbelievers. If someone is told that joy is the opposite of happiness, any thoughtful person would say, in that case, I don't want joy. If we say that the gospel won't bring happiness, any perspective, any perceptive listener should respond, then how is it good news? We need to reverse this trend. My hope, Alcorn writes, is that we can redeem the word happiness in light of both scripture and church history. Our message shouldn't be don't seek happiness, but you'll find in Jesus the happiness you've always longed for. And he closes by saying, because this issue is so important, I've written a small hardcover book called 
Does God want us to be happy? So you can look that up. I'm sure anywhere you find Alcorn's books, does God want us to be happy? An intriguing article. I've been taught that joy and happiness are different and that we shouldn't look for happiness. Alcorn says that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what church history has taught. And uh, he is calling for a change. So love to know what you think about that. You can do so at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, uh, what were the top 10 Christian songs from this past year on Spotify? We're going to have that little fun uh, Casey Kasem moment here on the on uh, the Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Common Good. I got to say, John, I enjoy that music. That one brings me back happy off of our last discussion. That one brings me back uh, with some joy and some cheer. Some, it's, uh, it's nice. It's springtime. That, that, that music feels like springtime. But does it bring you happiness? Yeah. 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 Okay. Put a smile on my face. Uh, yeah. If Ian was here, he'd be going He'd be going air drums right now and just tapping along. Great drum work. It's, and so, uh, yeah. Good, good, good use of the Simple piano melody, but the, but, the, but the drums. I mean, listen to that. That's good right there. Goodness. Yeah. Nice. That's good. Uh, speaking of songs. Uh, really interesting article at a Christianity uh, Christian headlines. I'm sorry uh, about Spotify's top ten Christian songs. I've never done a top ten music list, so we're gonna get our uh, we're gonna do that. But before we do that, uh, let me remind you that AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and performing artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. So don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Uh, tickets are going to start at just $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. Okay. So on Spotify, uh, they've, uh, they've uh, gotten the top 10 Christian songs from the last year. So here's how we're going to do this, John. You're a music guy. I'm yep. going to go 10 to 1. I'm going to read you the song, and you tell me, like it, don't like it, or have never heard of it. Go for it. So I, around the new year, I think we did this same type of list, but it was with um, it was with worship songs in churches. Yeah. And, so, and actually, I think half of these were on that list. Yes. I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, but these are just Spotify. These are people downloading and streaming on their own just for fun. Yeah. Uh, and so... All right, here we go. Number 10. Number 10. Mm-hmm. Whole Heart, comma, Hold Me Now. I like that. By uh, Hillsong United. But yeah. the live version. You the see live, version. The do live you, version. Do you like this song? Yes. And actually, the live version is an important distinction because I think there is a, a prophetic moment in okay. the song itself where they're just kind of singing out. And I, I, I endorse that wholeheartedly. <laughs> I don't think I know yeah. this song. Really? Maybe I do. Uh, um, You're going to sing it for me. Give my whole heart through. Hold on me, and your grace holds me now. Don't know it. Really? Okay. Don't know it. John, you're all going to know. John, we might do this. We might have you sing most of these songs. <laughs> John is a, he is a, he is a music guy. If you don't know guy. the next one, I don't think your worship team is on the on the ball here. But oh, okay. oh, that is, there are a lot of people Conviction. who sing out of hymnals Conviction. every week right now <laughs> listening going, excuse me? Unless That's this my is, non-denominational Unless cynicism. this is amazing grace or great is thy faithfulness. There's people wagging their finger at you right now. All right, here we go. <laughs> Elevation worship. Do it again. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I, I like it. I, I think I think our church did it like every week for a month and it got really old. All right, sing it for us. Uh, 
I see you move, you move the mountains, and I believe. I do know the song. I see you do it again. Yeah, it's it's got a good piano part in it. I really like it, but yeah. Okay. I agree it is overplayed, but it is a good song. We've stumbled into this, the you singing the song. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> this is good. It's a bit shameless, but yeah, go ahead. Number eight, Lauren Daigle, Look Up Child. Uh, honestly, I've heard it, but I don't think I could sing it. Okay. okay. She's got she's got such a distinct she does. voice. Lauren Daigle's going to make some more appearances on this list. Yeah. Uh, I, I think at least two more. Okay. She's, she's a fantastic musician. Oh, yeah. I love her. And it's now crossed over into much more mainstream. Yeah. Uh, what did she sing... Well, uh, All Star Game? Did she sing the? Yeah, uh, she sang the was, national anthem at the was, uh, NBA All Star Game. Yep, was it? She did. Okay. Uh, number seven, Hillsong. Uh, Who you say I am? Yeah. Good. I, yeah. Again, another one that's been played a ton, but it's a good. It's just quintessential identity in Christ. It's perfect. Can you do it? Who the sun sets free? Oh, I like the song. Always free indeed. Finish it, going. Brian. Come on. Nope, I'm not going to do it. I do know how to say, finish it, but I'm not going to do it. You can just say what it is. It says, yeah, I'm a child of God. Yes, yes I'm free. I am. Yes, or yes, I am. Yes. Number six, back to Lauren Daigle. Mm-hmm. Uh, rescue. I don't know this one. I do not either, but knowing Lauren Daigle, it's probably really good. Oh, that's good. the one where she... Uh, uh, my SOS, my SOS. I, I think that's the, the bridge right before the chorus. I okay. couldn't tell you the rest of the song, though. Next one, we are back to Hillsong at number five, So Will I. They like to put parentheses in their songs. 100 billion X. Times. I think it's 100 billion yeah, times. Yeah. I don't uh, know that song. Uh, It's really immense. I, I think it's one of those songs that just... It doesn't repeat itself. It just gets you, and it and it repeats so the chorus a hundred billion yeah. times. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's uh, what is that? Uh, what song does that? Oh, oh, oh they all right. do it. They all do it. Okay, number four. Here we go. I know this one. Elevation worship. Uh-huh. A lot of worship songs on the Spotify list. Yeah. Oh, come to the altar. That's a great one. Sing it. <laughs> oh, come to the altar. Oh, I know that one. I like that song. Heart is broken. Yeah. Okay. I, it, the words are escaping. Okay, we are going. We are going old school with number three, also Hillsong. Oceans. Yeah. This one was, I think, before Lauren Daigle stole their spot. The longest reigning number one Christian song. Interesting. Okay, this, this one was it. Yes, Oceans. Okay, number two. Yeah. Number two, Corey Asbury, a uh, reckless love. You can't have a, a list without Corey Asbury's reckless love. All right, That's like. It. There are people out there who don't know it. <laughs> you don't know reckless love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending reckless Never heard it. Love. I'm just kidding. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Have you done a wedding in the last 10 years? Let's go. I've done a yeah. wedding. I only do Stephen Curtis Chapman songs during weddings. Atta boy. No, only Stephen Curtis Chapman That's old school, man. That's all we're doing. That number is one. This is no surprise to anybody. Drum roll, please. Uh, number one is uh, Lauren Daigle's You Say. Yeah. This song is probably number one on a lot of non-Christian uh, lists from this past year. Yeah. Uh, and it got me thinking, why is that song resonated so mm-hmm. much? I'm not going to make you sing Lauren Daigle's I, You I, Say. I will, I will disrespect her if I sing that song. Yeah. That yeah. Is, she just, it, it's her. Uh, it is, in, I think this song, because she's a fabulous singer, she is, uh, it's a great song just to listen to and, and whatever, but the words, the, the message, I believe, is why this song resonates. Mm-hmm. It is all about identity in Christ. Who are we? Who does God say that we are? Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, as a preacher, when I preach on identity and who God says we are, there is a, 
there is a different feel in the congregation. People need to hear this. Like, who am I? I'm I'm searching for who that I am. Let me read to you what she says. Mm -hmm. She says, this song for me was just a reminder of identity. It was a reminder that I know when I'm weak, he's strong. So how do I change that and bring that into my everyday life? When I feel inadequate, how is it that there's always these moments where I feel like God just steps in and supersedes my inadequacies? This entire song was written so every single day I would get up on stage and be and remind myself, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Don't get buried in confusion. Don't get buried buried in waywardness. Just remember to stay the course and steady the course. I love hearing the background of what she was trying to get at when she wrote that. Uh, but man, I think that song resonates not just because she's she's a great singer or it it sounds great, but because it is a timeless words that we all need to hear. Mm. You say this about me, God. You say this about me in Christ. You say this about me because so often we say things about ourselves that aren't biblical uh, and aren't helpful. And I think mm. that's why that song resonates. If I had to guess, that song was probably downloaded as much as the other nine. Oh, uh, combined. <laughs> combined. And, and, and that's theme of of who god says we are yes is so evident in most of these songs number seven yep. who you say i am uh d- d- do it again you you see you move i'll move the mountain like yeah with god we can do things that we would never think we could yep so that's helpful it's just a fun list and we got the bonus of listening to john Singham. We might have to do that more often, my friend. I didn't didn't anticipate that at all. Neither did I, but I'm happy about it. Whatever. We're glad you're with us today. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about an interesting story out of Wheaton College, and then we're going to talk to John Malk from Malk and Baker. You are listening to The Common Good. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us here on The Common Good. You can find us all sorts of different places. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. We also have a podcast. Think they knew we had a podcast? Hey, we got a podcast. So you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. That allows you to listen to the show uh, at other times of the day, times that are convenient for you. I love to listen to my podcast while doing the dishes. Uh, my favorite time, John, to listen to podcasts is when I mow the lawn, but that's we haven't mowed the lawn in a while. There. 
Oh, We're getting there, baby. Your mouth to God's ears, right there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, so we are uh, we are looking at uh, all of that. And so w- the podcast, go ahead and listen to it and subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, I do want to remind you about uh, something exciting happening here at 1160 uh, is that we are welcoming songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reform Church on Friday night, March 27th for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets start at just $25 and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That is 1160hope.com. <clears throat> I've told you often on this show that uh, my alma mater is Wheaton College. That's how I ended up out here in the Midwest. I grew up on the East Coast. And uh, I grew up in New Jersey all the way through high school, just about 45 minutes outside New York City. And uh, came out to Wheaton College to do my undergrad, to come to college, and uh, met my wife. And uh, she's from Milwaukee, and we often joke that I didn't want to move to Milwaukee. She didn't want to move uh, to uh, New Jersey. And so we ended up in Wheaton. So we lived in Wheaton, and uh, we love it out here. We uh, have since moved to Downers Grove. But all that to say, uh, I love Wheaton College. It's my alma mater. Uh, uh, and still know a lot of people over there. And Wheaton College has been a little bit in the news lately, and I want to give you an update on this. It has to do with uh, Gilbert Belzikian. Uh, Dr. Belzikian uh, was a prof at Wheaton and uh, a well-known person there. Also, most well-known for his work from the ground floor at Willow Creek. He was often known as kind of the theologian behind Willow Creek. And some allegations came out about him recently, about years of um, inappropriate um, sexual conduct, misconduct. And uh, Wheaton College uh, made a decision this week. Let me read to you the article out of Religion News, and then we'll talk about it. Wheaton College has rescinded the title of Professor Emeritus from Gilbert Bilzekian after an investigation into the longtime professor of New Testament turned up new allegations of, quote, inappropriate and unprofessional conduct. The school, one of the United States' most prominent Christian colleges, reopened an investigation into the allegations last month. This is a painful situation in which some of our alumni stepped forward to share experiences from the past that prompted a wide range of reactions, including anger, hurt and confusion, wrote Wheaton President Phil Riken in an email on February the 28th to the school community. We ask that you pray for them and hope that they are able to find some measure of peace and resolution. Belzikian, who retired in 1992, said in a letter emailed earlier to religion news services that he denied the allegations against him. Being human, I err in many ways, but I make it a principle to never intentionally abuse, violate, or take advantage of anyone, he said. Anyone who knows me and has been around me through the decades can attest that I've always treated people, particularly women, with respect and deference. Wheaton's investigation was reopened after leaders at Willow Creek Community Church announced that there had been credible allegations that Belzikian engaged in inappropriate behavior with a member of the suburban Chicago megachurch between 1984 and 1988. Belzikian, known as Dr. B, was never on staff at Willow Creek, but he was a longtime mentor to its founding pastor, Bill Hybels. A church member shared in a public Facebook post last month that Belzikian had kissed, fondled, and pressured her to have sex with him. Soon afterward, Willow Creek elders issued a statement saying they believed the woman's allegations. 
After the Willow Creek announcement, Wheaton said it had received credible new information about Belzikian and reopened a 2018 investigation into the professor's conduct. That investigation had been prompted by an anonymous blog post alleging misconduct by the longtime professor. Uh, The new investigation included interviews with witnesses and gathering of written documentation, after which Belzikian was given an opportunity to respond, the school's president said Friday in his email. Through this process, we learned of additional allegations of inappropriate and unprofessional conduct, which we investigated, Riken said. Based on that information and the recommendation of the administration, the college president wrote the Wheaton College Board of Trustees decided to rescind uh, Belzikian's title. So I, I bring that up first to say what a sad story. Like it's uh, particularly sad uh, for those um, who were victimized and felt pressured and uh, who were abused in some way. Um, now, Dr. Belzikian, it is uh, important to still point out, is still denying all of these charges. But Wheaton College is coming out and saying, no, we did our due diligence and there's even more charges out there. And uh, we are going to pull his professor emeritus. And uh, when I read stories like this, it, it causes me a couple different uh, reactions. The first uh, is just overall sadness. Uh, I'm sad for the state of uh, many prominent members of the church, particularly in the Chicagoland area. If you had said, you know, two, three, four years ago uh, that Bill Hybels, James McDonald, Gilbert Belzikian, to name a few, would be caught up in just public and uh, ugly um, allegations and um, that, that, that this would just take this sort of hit, I would never have believed you. And I guess on some level, there's some uh, comfort in the fact that these are getting unearthed and they are getting dealt with. But, I mean, these are some of the 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 people who were most held up in the Chicagoland area for evangelicalism. And and maybe that's also then part of the problem. Uh, Part of the problem is that uh, and this is where the anger comes in, that we as Christians, as evangelicals, have spent so many years uh, making into celebrities and idolizing on some level uh, people who we didn't know what was going on in their personal lives. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, how did we get to that point? Uh, When you look at Paul's writings in the New Testament, when he's talking about pastors and leaders, it is almost exclusively uh, a list of character traits. Uh, and now that we have gotten to the spot where so many of our leaders lack the character that Paul writes about, and yet they are leading some of the biggest churches and movements in the Chicagoland, should really cause us to pause and say, what's going on? How have we gotten to this point? And I, we've touched on this. Ian and I have both talked about this. But the celebrity culture that pervades um, evangelicalism in particular is really dangerous. And my my greatest hope is that out of this, whether it be the stuff with Bill Hybels, the stuff with James McDonald, the stuff with Gilbert Belziki, and hopefully no more to come. uh, But then you even think, you know, nationwide, the stuff that happened with Mark Driscoll or others. the, The hope here is that we are getting into a season where we no longer uh, hold up uh, these people as celebrities that we no longer assume that we know them, that just because they can preach an awesome sermon or just because they are leaders in, in just 
immense ways that we can hold them up like like they are to be uh, emulated. Right. We have to be really careful about the men and women that we hold up to emulate because we are to hold up people to emulate. Paul looked at the churches and Paul said about himself, emulate me as I emulate Christ. But the question is, what are the traits that we're looking to emulate? What are the traits that we're looking for in our pastors? What are the types of churches that we are as, 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 as Christians are drawn to? Who are the men and women that we are allowing to form the picture of Christianity uh, in our culture? And man, I think we've got it. We really need a, a, a reckoning, if you will. We really need a, um, uh, a revival, a reformation. And uh, I, th- I think that's really hard. That's really hard to talk about. But uh, I think there's a real opportunity in front of us to kind of wipe the slate clean and, and give a picture out there of Christianity that, quite frankly, uh, is a lot more biblical. So a hard story, but an important one uh, for us to do. Coming up next, we're going to talk to John Malk. Uh, he part of Malk and Baker. We're going to talk to John Malk here next on The Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Normally joined by Ian Simpkins, my co-host, but Ian is uh, out for the week. He's doing some grad work down in, I believe, in Tennessee. We'll hear all about it when he comes back. But uh, with Ian gone, one of the things we've been trying to do this week is to bring in pastors and ministry leaders uh, and other people from the Chicagoland area uh, who we think you'd be interested in hearing from. And uh, over the next two segments, we couldn't be more thrilled than to be joined uh, by John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk and Baker. John, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, Brian. I've been wanting to get on this show to talk to you, meet you guys, and, and to reach your audience. Because yeah. uh, we've been on for Lawyers for Jesus on YLL for a couple of years. That's, uh, we're winding that up, uh-huh. but uh, still want to... S- help people understand how God is working through the law. Yeah. It's not separated. People need to know that God is the source of law. He's the source of truth. And how do we translate that into the problems that we have today and the divisions that we have? How can it be uh, healing, restorative, and bring justice? Yeah, that's a really cool way to put it. And uh, I'm wondering... Is that how you view your job? Lawyers, as you know, there are lots of jokes going around about lawyers and this and that. Do you see your calling as to uh, how do you would you describe your calling as a lawyer? Well, the callings, the callings differ. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, when I started out practicing law, I was a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And I know you're into peacemaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other side of that is conflict avoidance. Yeah. And, and you can't really be a really good lawyer if you're always conflict avoidance. And and so conflict engagement and how to do that positively, I learned as I continued in my practice and I became a litigator. Yeah. And uh, fighting for justice in the courts, you have to advocate, but you don't have to hate. Mm. You advocate. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and uh, doing it in, in such a way that you respect the other side and and take their arguments as honestly presented, even yeah. though... They may be confused about what they're doing, but uh, it's a way to bring peace, uh, to mm-hmm. bring reconciliation, uh, sometimes through a tough fight, yeah, yeah. and sometimes through just uh, 
uh, sitting down, but in everything, we want to build the kingdom yeah. and help people see how God is working. So we pray with our clients. Mm. We offer to pray with our adversaries, oh, well. and, we, and we tell them. And I tell my, my staff, and we have seven lawyers, every time we can do so with a client's permission, which is frequent, we want to work the gospel into our briefs. That's great. And, and because there are people out there that don't know yeah. the love of God. Yeah. And when they see us, they look at our website, uh, Malk, malkandbaker.com, they see we're, we're, we're Jesus lawyers. That's different. Yeah. And it holds us to a higher standard, but we love trying to be a light. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that. How, how do you, how is it different? Right. Because the law is the law. But but as a Christian lawyer, how do you approach even your clients differently? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe uh, to trace my own history yeah, uh, as, as a lawyer and a believer starting out, a young lawyer, I said, well, what does it mean? Of course, it means to be ethical and honest. And other than that, mm. didn't make too much difference. It'll be nice to people, but uh, other non-Christian lawyers, and it's probably the big majority of those in the Chicago area, yeah. um, would say, well, just be ethical. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, I, as I continued practicing, I, I sought God and said, am I doing this right, God? I, I did divorce work for a while. Wow. And then I saw the scriptures mm-hmm. talk about there's really some wisdom in how the marriage should be conducted yeah. between Christians and Christians and non-Christians and, and when divorce is appropriate and when not. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a bunch of Christian women as clients, and they studied the scriptures thoroughly when mm-hmm. they were getting divorced. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and they discipled me, and it began opening my eyes to say, well, there's, okay, doing divorce, there's... There's a dimension. But yeah. then I began to wrestle with other scriptures. Uh, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel or the legal advice mm. of the ungodly. So there's a difference. Mm. And I began to see, wait a minute, there's a spiritual dimension in just about everything we do. Mm-hmm. And often God's objective is not to solve the legal problem. It's to help a person on their spiritual path. <laughs> And that's what we need to recognize as a counselor. So uh, we and our our lawyers, we pray and we try to discern how we can help that person make peace, reconcile yeah. uh, with their business partner because they're litigating, or how we can help the city see that, hey, a new church here can really enhance. And yeah. we talk to the neighbors and say, you don't want to fight this church. Look, look what they're going to bring. Yeah. And, and, and the, the different, there's there are many different ways, mm. but, but the bottom, but the bottom line, Brian is first to say, what is God doing yeah. here? And then translate it into the law yeah. rather than starting with the law and saying, well, this is what we got to go because basically law comes from God. Good law. Yeah. Yeah comes from God. So yeah. it's all about God's purposes uh, brought together in legal advice, counseling, and, uh, and, and working with the client. Sometimes they're not believers, yeah. and we'll show them God at yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> There's one particular man we're working with now, and he's blown away by prayer. He wants us to pray with him, <laughs> That's awesome. and it's great. And yeah. I know he's not a believer, but he can 
hardly hold himself back to say praise. So I, I can see God working in him. That's a that's a really helpful. I really appreciate your description there because as a pastor, we preach on all the time, right? About like using your work. You're always a missionary, right? You're always on. You're always representing Jesus. So I appreciate that. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to talk about this story that I remember Ian and I talked about it a few months ago about the Wheaton College students, uh, my alma mater, I'm a Wheaton College oh, grad. okay. And uh, we, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, the Wheaton College students at Millennium Park in the suit that just happened. So maybe if you could catch us up kind of on the facts of the case, and then when we come back from break, we'll talk about the case a little more. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and you bring up an important thing. Sometimes our role as lawyer is, is just to facilitate with other believers and mm-hmm. work with them because they're carrying the ball. These kids, and actually there's a group of 20 to 30 at Wheaton College that would go out on Friday evenings, mm-hmm. uh, take the train into Chicago, pass out tracks, and some of them would do open-air preaching and share the gospel with whoever was willing to listen. Mm. Uh, four of them in particular kept getting shooed out of Millennium Park, which is the biggest uh, tourist attraction in Chicago, right. one of the biggest in in the U.S. Mm. The city says 20 million people a year uh, come to Millennium Park. Wow! So that's you want to fish where the fish are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they have big no fishing signs. Okay. And uh, no preaching and no handing out of literature. Wow! Uh, in almost all of the park, they had one little square where they are allowing it, and. Uh, these students tried, and they talked to the supervisors, said, sorry, no, not allowed. And they came to us, and we had to sit down with them, and, and we'll t- tell you how we w- worked it out. And it's, it ended up in litigation that uh, God is moving oh, wow. in uh, on their behalf and on behalf of the gospel. And that's still ongoing. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. You're listening to John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk and Baker. And uh, we're going to spend the next segment talking about this case with these Wheaton College students at Millennium Park, because I think it brings up a lot of really interesting things that a lot of us non-lawyers probably don't really have never really thought about until we hear about it. So excited to have that conversation next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, but Ian is gone for the week. Uh, but we are excited to be joined in studio for a second segment uh, by John Malk, uh, attorney and partner at Malk and & Baker. And uh, you can find them at MalkandBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K. And uh, before the break, and you can go listen to the podcast if you want to catch up on it, uh, John was telling us about a specific case that they are a part of where uh, some Wheaton College students um, open air preaching, handing out tracks at Millennium Park, and they were basically shut down. So said, you can't do that except for one small part of Millennium Park. And uh, you've gotten involved in the case. And I think where we left it was you said uh, there's been some movement on their behalf in their favor. So why don't you catch us up on that? Well, uh, yes. When they came to us, uh, we sat down and said, well, exactly what did they do? And we you know, gathered the facts. And then I said, well, maybe it's just the security people that hmm. don't understand that this is a public park and public park people can freely speak unless there's a, a drastic reason not to. You know, were you yelling at people? No. Mm. Were you uh, amplifying? Uh, no. And uh, were you keeping people from walking away if they didn't want to hear you? No. Okay, we'll talk to the city. We talked mm. to them, and they said, no, we just have to have this place 
as a place of solitude and quiet enjoyment. Oh, wow. And if there's if there's uh, preachers there. Uh, they're going to interfere. Of course, I guess they've never been to the Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot of solitude during there. the summer, where yeah. you have a hundred kids splashing yes. around, and in in uh, well, actually, it's in the different places no, splashing around. Yeah, yeah. And, but around the Bean, people are taking s- selfies and they're 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 talking, and yeah. and the tour guides are giving speeches. It's not exactly a library there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so Chicago calls it our town square. Oh really? And to 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 hold these diametrically opposed yeah. positions, this is a town square, which is, implies all the all all the bustle, uh, tumult, and and fun. Yeah. Uh, with uh, quiet enjoyment. Well, which is it? Yeah. And uh, yeah. they wanted to have it both ways, and we asked them to change the rules, and they did, but really. They just said you no longer have to get a permit in advance. You just can't do it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so they actually made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so we, f- we filed uh, in uh, federal court yeah. because this is a First Amendment, free speech, free exercise of religion, mm-hmm. and uh, also equal protection because they allow... The city allows all sorts of other events and speeches mm. to go on that they, what they use the word curate, which we said just means you give them permission yeah, because you want to have this event or that event, but we can't. Mm. And so it's government trying to take over, and it often happens, maybe not maliciously, but people have different minds and say, if we yeah. can control this... Uh, Maybe we can uh, stay in office more. Yeah, yeah. And we were actually joined by uh, Governor Quinn. He called me, former governor. Mm -hmm. He said, we have people that pass out petitions in Millennium Park because that's the best place. A lot of people. For us to fish, just like it's the best place for your evangelists to fish. And I said, come on, join the lawsuit. (laughs) So they filed an intervention and were allowed. So uh, we went together arm in arm. And we had a, a trial okay, uh, very quickly because Judge Blakey, the federal bench, recognized that this was important and uh, consequential to yeah. thousands, uh, actually 20 million if you take the city's, yep. city's word for it. Uh, and we said it's not just about our right to free speech. It's about the right of every visitor there to hear a message. Mm. They don't have to listen to the message. Yeah. yeah. They can walk away. They can say, don't hand me your literature, whatever. But they should have a right to say, why can't I take this literature? Why can't I hear this young fellow standing up and and, and speaking? It must be pretty important to him Mm -hmm. to come down on a Friday night and and, and to stand on on a short little ladder. Oh, wow. And, and start uh, speaking without amplification. Yeah. So That's not what I was doing at Wheaton on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, wait a minute. They, they didn't allow that at Wheaton, did they? No. It's a lot of wasted time is all it was. Okay. So um, uh, we had the trial. We had the testimony. Uh, we did briefing and all of the legal stuff you do. Uh, they took court depositions yeah. and, uh, beforehand, and, and the city brought three or four lawyers they had working on it. Mm. 
they didn't want to settle at all. So uh, the trial was in November, and we waited and uh, patiently, yeah. and we waited, and we got an th- excellent opinion, 32 pages from Judge Blakey. That's uh, available on our website, milkbaker.com, or... Uh, you can just ju- uh, probably if you uh, Google, Google Matt, yeah. Matt Swart, S-W-A-R-T, one of the students, okay. or Millennium Park, uh, yeah. you can come up with it. And there's there's a lot of coverage on it. Yeah. But for now, the judge has declared that those rules that say no passing out of literature, no open air preaching are unconstitutional. Wow. It's a public park and you can't make a bunch of words up and say it's not a public park. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> the reality of what it is controls. And so uh, last Friday night, hallelujah, they went right out. They? You know, they got, we got the opinion on Thursday uh-huh. and on Friday they were out there preaching and handing out literature and uh, they'll be out there again this Friday if they're... Uh, Folks who want to get saved, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you want to hear the word, and this is for everybody, man. Yeah. This is, uh, and, and I know common ground is about making common ground. Yeah, uh, the petitioners who want citizen referendums now have the right mm. to uh, go around with their clipboards. Yep. Yep. The Buddhists have the right. Mm. And the uh, the anti-Trumpers and the Trumpers have the right. And they were all forbidden before. And the hope is through interaction, instead of everybody being in their own cocoon, uh, that that will help. Uh, At least people will listen respectfully. Our students are respectful, and and we should listen respectfully uh, to others. And that's part of the common good is having free speech and having open public parks. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating point and where we can close it out is that you, this isn't just about the Christians being able to preach. And Ian and I've talked about that before telling people like, as long as you're okay with this for everybody, yeah, freedom, freedom. Um, but what you guys were really fighting for was yes for the students, but it was much bigger than that. Well, absolutely, and and we we believe, and we even represent non Christians. Interesting, uh, because God allowed Satan to come right before him and accuse Job. Hmm. He didn't say, "Satan, you can't speak." Now, when he speaks, we resist him. Yeah, but it was right to speak. We'll stand up for it because it's part of everybody's right yeah. as an American and I think as a person of, of God, yeah. that God wants freedom for the gospel and for people to, be, to decide who is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I'm so grateful that you came in and we could have this conversation. As I said, we talked about this article when it first came out and uh, you've offered uh, off air to come in some more and be our, uh, help us process some law stuff and we're going to take you up on that. So we look forward to having you back on the show again. Thanks for being here. Oh, God bless you, Brian. Thanks, John. Thanks. Uh, Again, you're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop 
uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to, to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. The one thing, it is the end of the show. It is interweb insanity. This is a time uh, when our producers, John, is this you or is this Keith? Who's this today? Today is Keith. Okay. Strap it on. This is going to be dangerous. I'm glad you asked because I don't know if I want my name to these. This is going to be dangerous, but... Uh, so Keith has gotten us stories, uh, funny stories, sometimes uh, sketchy stories from the internet. I have not seen these. I have not read these. And that's how we play the game. Neither so. have I. So <laughs> it'll be fun for me. <laughs> okay. First one's out of Scotland. Hapless Scottish bank robber forgot to cut eye holes in makeshift pillowcase mask. <laughs> that's funny. A bank robber, a bank robber put a pillowcase over his head to hide his identity. Then he had to take it off so he could see. Matthew Davies uh, failed to create eye holes in the cover of the armed raid at a bank uh, last September. The 47-year-old who threatened staff with a meat cleaver left the bank with nearly 2,000... What do they have in Scotland? Pounds? Euros? Pounds? I think it's pounds. Sure, yeah. we'll go with that. But was later arrested. He pleaded guilty to charge of assault. Uh, in the hearing... Uh, it says Davies entered the Bank of Scotland branch and pulled the meat cleaver from the pillowcase before putting the bedding item to the cover of his face. But the failure to cut eye holes meant he had to take it off again. After threatening staff, Davies was initially given uh, 300 pounds or so, but the 47-year-old demanded more cash and also warned that he would hurt a female customer if it was not handed over. Stupid! <laughs> I like it. Police later found the cash and the pillowcase consistent with what he put over his head. All right. Next one's out of Florida. Our friends from Florida. Oh, I saw this one on the news today. Man sets hospital bed on fire to get nurses attention. A man who felt like he was being ignored set his hospital bed on fire while another patient was in the room in an attempt to get a nurse's attention. According to the authorities, John King admitted to setting a plastic bag on fire on Saturday because he felt the Advent Health New Smyrna Beach staff were ignoring his request to bring him his clothes, and he believed that the fire would get their attention. King's roommate in the hospital explained to officials that he had seen King light a small object on fire, but convinced him to put out the flame record show. However, when he returned to his bed behind a curtain, he saw King relit the fire, and the roommate used the emergency button to notify staff. Uh, he's in here. He lit his bed on fire. I can't breathe. The smoke is in the room. A nurse who heard the roommate yell entered the room after seeing the flames and shouted, fire, there's a fire, and called 911. Uh, King gave uh, authorities the silver and red Bic lighter he used to start the fire. He was arrested on a felony charge of arson. Oh, there'll be a hot <laughs> in the old town tonight. Next one's out of Tennessee. Parrot shouts fire to warn family about blaze in kitchen. Wow. A family owes their life to their beloved parrot. When a fire broke out in the early morning hours while the family was still sleeping, they were woken up by their parrot uh, Louis' cries of fire. Amazingly, they say, the bird had never said the word before, but was still able to use it in that situation. Louis is a true hero. If it weren't for him, I probably would have been sleeping during the fire. He started squawking fire. When I woke up, the fire was starting to spread across the living room floor. Uh, 
Oh, well, now it just turned sad. Are you reading along? Unfortunately, Louie and the family's pet dog didn't survive the fire. Come on now. But uh, Barbara's husband and their six-year-old granddaughter also escaped with their lives. Uh, According to... uh, Anyway, while the family has to find a new home, they say the community has been helping. Uh, People have reached out with clothing. The man who donated the apartment also gave us a baby parrot as well. We call him Louie Jr. My parakeet, Petey? He's dead. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. His head fell off. Yeah, he was pretty old. Oh, that's it. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> that's terrible. I, t- I was going to apologize ahead of time. Just like, that's nah. funny, though. That's dumb and dumber, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Tennessee again. McDonald's worker punched by customer over free cup of water. Isn't Ian in Wait, Tennessee what? right now? Isn't he in Tennessee right now? Hmm? How long has he been there? Long enough to punch someone over a free cup of water. It's fast food, yeah. A McDonald's worker was reportedly assaulted during a bizarre interaction with a customer. According to reports, a female employee was struck by a customer who was apparently angry after being offered a free cup of water. A second female employee was reportedly hit when she attempted to intervene. The incident occurred Friday at a McDonald's in Midtown, uh, Tennessee. According to the outlet, the 44-year-old suspect approached the counter and asked for a cup of water. The cashier reportedly informed the man that the cup would normally cost 32 cents, but since the system was down, she offered the cup for free. At this point, the suspect reportedly became upset and attempted to give the employee a $100 bill. After she returned it and wouldn't accept it, he reportedly began to hit her in the face. None of this makes sense. It doesn't make any sense at Police all. Police later, here's where it's going to make sense. Police later arrested the man and charged him with two counts of assault and possession of drug paraphernalia. Nice last one. Original, yeah. Yeah, the last one's out of Australia. Baboons escape near Sydney Hospital, wander the city. Why not? A trio of baboons being taken to a Sydney, Australia hospital escaped from their transport truck and wandered through the area. New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard said a 15-year-old baboon was being taken to Royal Prince Alfred Hospital uh, and was accompanied by two younger female baboons to keep him calm. The primates escaped from their transport truck due to a faulty locking mechanism and went wandering in the area, prompting numerous reports to police of loose baboons in the area around the hospital. Traffic this morning is as bad as it gets. Due to a fire at the Army testing lab, a bunch of escaped infected monkeys are roaming the expressway. Despite the sweltering heat, don't unroll your windows because those monkeys seem confused <laughs> and irritable. <laughs> That's a good one. Keep did a good job today. Yeah, he usually does. And y'all, you always know it's him. There's at least one or two Simpsons drops. That's a good always. point. That's a good point. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Again, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.